Hey there, boils and ghouls, and welcome to this week's episode of Hollow Weekly, and boy, was this an interview dream come true. We got to sit down with the guy who pinned the slasher film that got me into horror movies. I always liked the Universal Monster stuff, the Halloween stuff, but, but this movie that this gentleman wrote got me into slashers like none other, and that is Todd Farmer, the writer of Jason X. He also wrote My Bloody Valentine 3D and Drive Angry. This guy can just bust out cult classics like it's his job. It was his job. Yeah, <laughs> it was his job. He was a writer, and he did it successfully. And he was cool enough to sit down and talk to George and I for a little bit, talk about Jason X and all of his other cool stuff. So sit back, enjoy the show. Hey, and make sure to rate and review. Five stars. Send this to your friends. We all love Jason X. We know you love Jason X. All right? So this is the episode you've been looking for. So sit back and enjoy the show. I'm scared to death of one thing. Excellent, excellent. How you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? Fantastic. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. My this pleasure. Is, this is sort of like I was thinking, like if Nick in sixth grade buying Jason X knew, <laughs> right? so he'd be like, "No, that's that's not gonna happen. How would that happen?" <laughs> One day I'll be standing in his tool shed. How could that be? <laughs> <laughs> very fitting very, totally fitting choose your weapon this is so we started this podcast a long time ago and i with the first time i met nick who is my best friend i was i was like um what was your formative horror experience and he didn't even hesitate he None. was just like jason x like not not that even was like <laughs> it was it was crazy tell, tell him okay so sixth grade like this is this is what changed me fundamentally i still say to this day that if you need like a horror boot camp dvd like you need to learn everything buy the dvd because not only do you get jason x but the special features behind the scenes which was my first introduction to joe bob who's now just burning it up right burning it up yep uh what was i going on with that just how crazy right that that experience was like i remember because we were just talking to aaron b Kuntz from scare package on saturday yeah and we were talking about video stores, and one of the big uh, moments I had was buying Jason X and Army of Darkness in the same night, not knowing what was about to happen. <laughs> right, not knowing what you were in for. Uh, yeah. What was about to happen, so just that, <laughs> that, that experience, like that, people don't get that now. They don't get the blockbuster, like, no. like just chancing it, because I knew nothing about Jason going into this film. Right. This was my first, aside from the hockey mask and Halloween, like you knew that that was a, was a character. And so I was like, hockey mask, right. this is the one. And to me, that was like, this is Jason. The other films don't count. Like to me, and, and people thought people thought I was crazy. People thought I was crazy. I was like, you don't understand. I saw what I thought was going to be in the movie, bought the movie, and everything happened. Right. <laughs> that would have been the pull quote with the most swagger for you. Nick Rollins, <laughs> none of the rest of the Fridays count. <laughs> uh, on behalf of Cunningham Films, I would like to apologize. <laughs> Personally. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we got to know, like, what was it like? How, how did the, what's the capsule story of how that came about? How did you get involved? And then, and then how did it get to the point of him in space? Because I heard there were different ideas before that one even came about. I mean, I had befriended Dean Laurie over emails, basically. Dean Laurie had put Jason in hell. So he did, he did Jason uh, Goes to Hell. And uh, we had bantered back and forth story ideas. And he, I was living in Texas at the time. And he said, look, if you want to do this, you got to move out to L.A. And within a couple of months of being in L.A., he introduced me to Sean. And we all started talking. Sean had always wanted to work with Dean again. 
so the idea was Dean was going to direct something Sean would produce and I would write it. And then uh, that's how I ended up working for Sean. And I worked there for two and a half years before we even started talking about doing this. Oh, Freddie wow. versus Jason was in development at the time and they were on like draft seven or eight. And uh, I even did a draft at, at one point, which they sent back, New Line sent back unopened passing like <laughs> you know just not for us but they never opened the envelope wow wow and, what was, uh, wait wait what was your draft what was the hook what my was draft it? was king kong versus godzilla it was just a big event movie oh, it was cool. just funny goofy as it should be it wasn't scary it was i don't think there was anything scary in it it was just right. one set piece after another and they didn't read it so it doesn't matter <laughs> fair enough and um but then sean sean was rightfully frustrated so he was like let's let's just do a Jason movie. So we started bantering around ideas and ended up with this stupid idea. <laughs> hey, so yeah, but it, it, here's the thing. It, once it's in space, you can get away with anything, which is one of the things I appreciate about that, right, Liz? Like, where they are you going to go from hell? <laughs> they'd done everything else. And so this wasn't like, Friday the 13th was never cookie cutter. It was, it was, they were always going somewhere different. I mean, the first movie is so very different from all the other movies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, Jason fought Carrie with telekinesis. I mean, all of that was happening. <laughs> so how crazy was it to go to space? Right. So, uh, and I always thought just because of my love of alien space would work. I knew others hadn't worked, but I never occurred to me that we would not be brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> is there like a standout scene or uh, there, what was there a scene that like you just couldn't wait to write for jason x like what was the most exciting scene to to knock out um i mean the funnest scene was the anti-gravity scene which we never shot because it was too expensive that was fun <laughs> the uh but the i always loved the opening i i thought you know f finding the whole setup to the opening and then the, and then the, the class showing up, I always thought that was fun. And so, and it was much bigger back at the time because there were, I think when they got into the compound in whatever year it was, um, there were all these rope, like all these countermeasures came alive, all these security countermeasures to protect oh, cool. Jason. And so there were, there were robotic spiders and all this stuff, but DeLuca had just done lost in space and DeLuca who was running new line at the time, he was like, yeah, we ain't doing spiders. We couldn't have afforded it anyway, so it was fine. <laughs> that so, was fine. Speaking of achievement unlocked, your words were coming out of David Cronenberg's mouth. That has to be kind of surreal, right? My rewritten, my Cronenberg rewritten words were coming out of his mouth. Oh, did he rewrite them? <laughs> he did. I mean, that whole, I don't want him frozen, I want him soft. That's total Cronenberg. I mean, wow. think about it. That's that's like <laughs> well, right out of the fly. <laughs> That wasn't me. I just get to take credit for it. <laughs> and I remember somebody called me. I don't remember who it was. Somebody's like, Cronenberg's changing all your lines. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Why would you get mad at that? <laughs> wow, he Orson Welles'd you. Like, the third man, he took over the, okay, all right. I mean, that's just normal. I, I never was the, the princess when it came to dialogue because right. – I mean, I've written my own dialogue and I get on set and I'm like, no, nah, it ain't working. So I change it <laughs> while I'm there. Right. So, I mean, you have to do that as an actor. You got to change it and make it your own. And that's, that's what he did. That's super cool, actually. I, I think one of my favorite moments in, in any horror franchise thing is when 
Frozen Jason holding Machete falls down and chops <laughs> off. That is such genius. The fact that he's malevolent as a statue, <laughs> like just, just like, just transporting him is it's like highly you, dangerous. You put him in a UPS truck, he'd fall out of it, destroy cars. <laughs> Final like, destination, a whole highway. <laughs> totally. That was such a great touch. <laughs> good, good visual. Speaking of visuals, like. This movie has some of the best kill scenes too. Yeah, like indeed. the the fro- like the frozen face one, just like that. Be- also, keep in mind, like that was my, like a first f- Jason film. Right. We got the we got the cryogenic face slam. <laughs> Everyone else had to deal with the arrows through the neck. Right. <laughs> my first impression, like, you want to see a face? Now it's gone. <laughs> What's it like writing those kill scenes? Like, how do you come up with them? And like, were there any that uh, didn't make it into the movie because they were too violent? No, I mean we we didn't. We didn't really cut anything. There were a few frames. There was a scene where you come back and find the pilot is dead, and there's just some gore shots. Mm-hmm. Trimmed a few of those, but for the most part, everything stayed. What's interesting about the face freeze, if you compare that to, say, Janessa getting sucked out of the, the hole in the... in the, mm-hmm. That's horrible compared <laughs> to the face freeze. The reason the face... And the face freeze, the way they pulled that off, it's just genius. The idea was great, but had they not pulled that off the way they did... Nobody would remember it. I mean, it could have looked horrible, but it looks fantastic. And how did they pull it off that well? I have no idea. I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I was, I was there for about a week because the first shot of me coming through the little uh, virtual reality thing, yep. that was day one. Oh. And so wow. once they were done with me, they shipped me off so I wouldn't be in the way. And then, uh, <laughs> Dean Laurie and I came back maybe three weeks into the shoot to do some rewrites, but we were locked in the hotel room the whole time, so... I mean, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't think of another horror movie kill that's been mythbustered. Like, they did a whole episode on the phrase, face freeze, right? Yeah, which apparently doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I think so much of mythbust, mythbusters, that definitely works. <laughs> it looked like it worked like a charm. <laughs> I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> but that's a, that's a, I mean, that's a really, like, high honor there. You got, you got the one fact-checked kill in the history of horror. Horror's done the craziest shit for, for like almost a century, if not a said full century. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> Thomas and Edison's Frankenstein was like 1800s. But like, you're the only fact-checked kill. <laughs> that's, that's, that's messed up. <laughs> that is, that's a high honor. That's a Guinness That's a Guinness record kind of moment. So as a, as a writer, because I didn't know this about screenwriters, because I, I was like, I didn't know that you could just go and like, read scripts and learn how to write like and figure out how to do it i always thought like you just pin a movie <laughs> like that's how I, <laughs> are there any scripts that you read that like gave you the tools that like built a foundation for you that like you remember reading or like or you read it or you read a screenplay and you're like oh I can, i'm doing this like this well, is... there were two i bought um i don't know what year it was um it would have been 90s but I bought a uh, screen. I bought a book. that had two screenplays. It was by Quentin Tarantino, and uh, it was Reservoir Dogs and True Romance. And I thought I wanted to write novels at the time, and so I read those, and I was just like, it just blew my mind. The sim- simplistic way of telling a story, where it's just dialogue and just action. There's no fluff. Just yeah. get to the point. Get it done. And they just they blew my mind. And at that point, I started calling around. Who do I know that was was doing this and a friend of a friend had gone to school with Dean Laurie and that's how I hooked up with him but it was it was Reservoir Dogs Reservoir Dogs the first one I read and hadn't seen the movie 
uh, True Romance I had seen, which was a completely different screenplay than the movie. Yeah. Wow. So it just just blew my mind as to how, like, I wanted to, I wanted the answers. I wanted to know how that screenplay became the movie that we ended up seeing. So it just. He, did, was, he is his name even on True Romance? I can't remember. Did, did he take his credit off that, or did he leave it as a writer? Or something weird happened there. <laughs> but it was what I read, and it may not have been from the book. I know I'd read it. I read both versions at one point. I can't remember which one was in the book, but um, it was you know it was all out of order. It was like Pulp Fiction. Sure. And um, you picked the right shirt for this interview, Nick. Bam. Well, yes, you did. <laughs> uh, but it was uh, that's the, that's the screenplay that that put me in the. In the True Romance would do it. I remember. I remember the day I saw True Romance. I remember the weather. I remember like it's one of those vivid. You once you get to once you get to the like Dennis Hopper, Christopher Walken in the scene. Like it's I mean, just watching them do that back and forth is like life changing. Yeah. Incredible. I can thing. remember uh, I was hanging around with um, Thomas Jane for a period of time, and he was married to Patricia Arquette. And I remember at some point we were over there working on something, I think one of the comic books, and she came in the room and brought us a bunch of food, and I was just like, you're so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and she gave me that look. <laughs> like, I've never heard that before. <laughs> and then, uh, our She'd probably be happy here now. <laughs> What's that? She'd probably be happy here now. <clears throat> I, I think she, uh, I think she's, uh, she and I are, uh, we, we battle Trump in the same uh, arena. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Um, go ahead. Oh, so like I was just I was talking to George before this, and I was like, it's got to be like, it's got to be kind of surreal being killed in a horror film. Like that does that? It's got to be crazy to know that like there's I'm gonna have Jason's head on my hand on my head, slamming against the wall. The film crew's gonna get this, and then forever and ever and ever, I'm gonna have a kill by Jason. How was it, how is it filming a kill scene? Like how's that how's that work? It is everything you think it is. It's incredible. Granted, it's slow because filming is very slow. You think mm -hmm. you go in and do it, but you're there all day long. But just the idea of what you're becoming a part of—that's huge in itself. And uh, I can't remember if it was Jim Isaac or Cunningham who asked me, "Do you want to be in it?" Which I'd never even—it never even occurred to me. Sure. I had done plays in college and crap like that, but I it just didn't. And so I was like, yeah. And they were like, who do you want to play? And so I was thinking, because it was a small part. And I thought, mm -hmm. well, one of the grunts, I'll play Dallas because he's got the biggest role. <laughs> I know it's a dick move, but still, it was a fun role. And so what was great is that uh, Kane wouldn't let me do the actual close-up hit because he's, you know, Kane's, Kane's a nut, but he's also a very professional stuntman. So he mm -hmm. was like, no, 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 you, there could be an accident. We're going to bring this guy in. And so if you remember the, the beginning of X-Men, uh, Wolverine's fighting this big bald dude in the cage. Well, that bald dude was the was the guy who came in to sort of uh, be the, the head that smashes wow. into the wall. And so there was this hole cut in the wall and this fabric over it. And so you just hit that hole. Well, he missed, completely shattered his head. <laughs> oh. And so when it was over, Kane was like, see? see? <laughs> like, no, I don't see. I would have hit the hole. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been me there forever. I would have done it right. That's but it was fun. So that, and then followed that with Bloody Valentine and Drive Angry. I just die in everything. <laughs> <laughs> You're, yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Um, what what was your impression of um, so Kane Hodder? Like when you play a role so many times, what's the difference between the first time you play it and later on in the series? Is there 
any difference or is he just basically channeling like going in a time machine and kind of recapturing what he was doing the first times i mean the great thing about kane is that he had had there had been a long a long time that there was no friday the 13th and he had been doing the convention circuit and he basically kept the character and the franchise alive as far as i was concerned so he had time to sort of figure out who jason was and i can remember him being on set there was a scene where where the robot cam knocks him down and the cameras were on him and he was supposed to get up and he was like no he said we never see jason get up like he had this idea in his head because it demystifies him when you see some guy awkwardly trying to get up off the floor you don't see it which makes a lot of sense so the next time you see him he's walking again i think i thought it was really smart i didn't think of it no less. Yeah, it would have been actually. 35 minutes of him just getting up over and over. <laughs> Taking like, Advils. Yeah, I've already, seen Mike, I've already seen Michael Myers drive. I don't want to see <laughs> you know, right. see Kate Hunter getting up from a, from a prone <laughs> position. Holding his back. <laughs> like, uh, doing the uh, sound. Yeah, no, that's actually really genius. <laughs> I'm all for that. The, the reveal of uber jason first of all was that what you called him uh on set or is that a nickname that came after i, I mean at some point at some point sean cunningham started calling him uber jason okay but i don't remember what he was referred to in the script or what just upgraded i don't know what it was but because a lot of times uh, uh you know that that reveal moment is just botched it, it, there's a mm-hmm. lot of movies where it's kind of like when the Poltergeist remake where they show the clown for the first time. The, and you're, you're like, come on. But 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 <laughs> this one, when he came out, it was everything I wanted it to be. Like, I don't know how they pulled that off. But his look, his style, like the style, like all of that. The context that he was revealed in. And then just the, the, the whole rest of the crew that was left. And you're in your head, you're like, how is he going to do that one? How is he going to do that one? Like, it was such a great moment. How did they pull that off so well? I mean, well, for starters, you've got Stefan who who designed RoboCop, so you can see oh. the similarities in the design. And uh, because the image that I always had was um, was the one from um, Mean Machine from the Stallone movie, uh, Dread, Judge Dredd. Oh, yeah. So it was more what I was what I envisioned in my head was just more painful, you know, metal and flesh merged together that looks like it would not feel good. But sure. when you've got Stefan, obviously you're gonna you're gonna go that direction, and, and I love the design. What was what will always be disappointing is that everyone already knew the design before they saw the movie. So, right. I mean, it was in the, on the poster and it was in the trailer, and it was never in my head. It was never designed to be that. It was it's the end of the movie. It's you you know you've been <laughs> in it for sixty plus minutes when that reveal happens. So it was supposed to feel like KN killed him and the movie was over. And so I think if that had happened. It would have made a better experience, but oh, definitely, yeah, for, definitely for sure. It, it was a there was a release thing, right? It got it accidentally was released, or something happened with Germany. What what was the story of that? How did it come out in advance? Wait, say that, it, or know, I, do I have that wrong? How, how did, did people pirating, know the pirating part? Or yeah, because there was certainly some pirating. That yeah, the pirating part because a lot of people sort of had seen the movie or yeah, seen a lot of people of it, because pirating i mean it wasn't even called that back then it was just you could download it It took 17 hours but you could download it <laughs> wow and, uh, and it was a bit i remember seeing you know i think it was pirate bay or i guess it was called pirate but um it was a big download at the time at least i'd seen somebody mention that but um yeah that uh a lot of people had seen it a lot of people knew about uber jason and plus it was all over the trailer and so on pirate bay that 
That's old. LimeWire just fucked it. Wow. That's... Well, I paid for mine, so I will. <laughs> yeah, you did. I was not part you of the problem. You, you were, yeah, no, you didn't cause any of that. You didn't cause any of the problems there. <laughs> what is it like to write for 3D? If it's any different, at, at first it wasn't any different because we didn't know what it meant. What we thought was Friday the Thirteenth 3D, Jaws 3D. We we stuff flying at your face we didn't we didn't think of it in the immersive thing that it is now right. and uh, it wasn't until i actually we were on set and we start seeing some of the images come back that we were like holy crap i mean the things that you can do and the ideas that you can put the audience it's inside the drama and that's what i loved about it there was a point in uh, valentine where the miner basically pickaxes a door and you just suddenly as the hole opens up just the world opens up in there it's just it was kind of amazing it just didn't so yeah we started probably every kill was redesigned a lot of those from gary tunicliffe who was the uh, effects blood guy and he's part of the band and always will be because he, he does everything with this now but um he you know his brain works that way so he's always thinking blood and gore so the, i think the <laughs> shovel through the, the head all of that was you know that's gary and so we rewrite it in time and just fix it make it happen that is so cool. I mean, that is literally, that's probably my favorite modern 3D horror. You, uh, use of 3D and horror, like modern, is it, Valentine's got to be number one to me. It came out a little before Avatar, right? Am I, did I have that wrong, or was it? Did it? No, no, no. No, it came out after. Did it? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. We, I, know, we, I, know Cameron, I know Cameron didn't like it. He was, he was very adamant that this was the wrong use of 3D. And... Um, and, and you know, we, I, my, my, I get that, but you can have both. You can have things flying at you. And, and what was great about the 3D is like, you know, you have a character come out on the porch with a shotgun. That's his idea because he knows he can put it right in the screen. And uh, it's just like every day we were figuring we could do different things and utilize oh. different things. It was very difficult back then because these, these were brand new cameras. They had been built for the movie. And so they were huge. They were the size of a refrigerator. So like we would... When we were looking at vehicles to use, we had to use vehicles that were big enough to fit the refrigerator in the back seat. And so it just changed the way we, we shot, which was great, but uh, also a lot of fun. Now now they're tiny and you can do whatever you want. How boring. <laughs> <laughs> I know the old way was a pain, but I actually liked the, I liked the old way. It was kind of, I think that's kind of amazing. <laughs> What, so you've done a lot of horror, and obviously you're with Sean and all that stuff. So what? what is, like, I've doing this podcast, we've had a lot of people give us different reasons why they think the horror genre is special. Like, I, the, the closest thing I can come to it, besides the fact that it, it can be, like, it can hit the highest part of your brain, but also the lowest part of your reptile brain all at the same time, but also, like, kind of contains... You know, you can do a lot in the horror genre that is kind of like what other genres do, but when other genres try to do horror in their genre, it almost never works. What's special about the horror genre to someone who's worked in it their whole life and obviously appreciates and, and loves it? What do you think is special about the genre itself? I mean, I think what is special and also unfair is that horror allows you the ability to, to do all of it. You can do humor. You can do action. You can do everything goes in horror. And so you have to learn and hone those skills so that you can do all of the different things you can do. You can literally do a romantic comedy inside a horror movie. 
And you can't do a horror movie inside a romantic comedy. It doesn't work that way. Mm. So it's the only genre that allows itself to just morph and become whatever the audience needs or whatever the story needs. Nobody else can do that. Um, and I, I think for me, that's what was the most fun because it felt like there were no shackles. I could go anywhere I wanted and I could right. do anything I wanted. And it was in the, and what's great about the horror fans, they understand that and they'll go with you on that ride. A lot of times you have to, you'll watch a movie and you totally have to suspend your, your disbelief. You don't necessarily have to do that with horror because you're taking everyday life and you're throwing these crazy situations at it. And that's what was always fun for me. So I think that's what's most special. That's really cool. What's the most fair? Because it doesn't get credit for that. And why is that? Is that the gatekeeping critics? What is what is the? I mean, it's weird because when I started, you literally only had Dimension and New Line and a couple other places doing horror movie because everybody else thought it was beneath them. Right. And when Scream came out, everything changed because suddenly, well, wait, a movie can make six million and then end up making over a hundred million. Everybody started doing it but they still didn't all get it and didn't all like it. And I think even to this day, even though every TV station and every network and every cable, they all have horror now. There's still this idea that it's not, it's not posh. <laughs> That's totally true. It might, it might actually be better that way. Although it's, it's, it sucks, but like they wouldn't the, understand it even if they sang, they were understanding it. So. Yeah. And you only really get like those those shows that like kind of creep in, like a Black Mirror comes up, and you're like, maybe people are gonna like horror, and then like you don't get another season for like four years, and then people are like, horror sucks. Why you watch that garbage? What's what's the? This might be really hard to answer off the top of your head, but what's the best secret movie hidden inside a horror movie? So like you said, you could put a romantic comedy in a horror movie. So what's a really good example of another genre movie that's hiding inside a horror? movie? I'm trying, trying to think of one off the top. I think, of you, I think you can do that with any horror movie. I think you can do it with, uh, uh, you can do a buddy movie with uh, American Werewolf. You can do, I mean, every, uh, yeah. every movie has that element in it. It's just, it's just, I mean, you can name a movie and you can, we could, we could play that game and right. figure out what, you know, what's going on there. And that's what makes it, I mean, I mean, I, I saw, I, I guess other genres can do that, but, it certainly seems like when I watch horror, that's that's the one that, that really stands out. And it's not just that. It's that if we go back and look, Alien was a horror movie. It didn't. It was called a sci-fi movie, but it's one of the scariest sci-fi movies you'll see. <laughs> just the inner concept of it goes against everything. It's someone. It's it's almost like the vampire, where the vampire was sexual with, with the penetration. Aliens is the same thing. It's penetration through your mouth. I mean, everything about it is uncomfortable. And it's against your will. It's rape. It's all of those things in right. horror. And, you know, it, it's it's a horror movie called sci-fi. So, I mean, I just, I the, the longer I've been around, the more I've come to appreciate horror for that very reason, because sure. it can be everything. And that's, it feels different. I, other genres can do it, but, like, when you have a thriller set up, something like, let's say, Red Dragon, right? And it feels like it's about to go horror, and then it it goes back to thriller. It feels like it pulled a punch, but when horror goes western, it doesn't feel like it's pulling a punch. It feels like it's having a blast, yeah. <laughs> right? It's a it's the way horror does it. It's not just that horror can do it, and most other genres can't. It's also the way horror goes about it is just cooler, <laughs> right? Than than the way the other genres do. I think. 
That's really inter- that's a really interesting point. I'm going to be looking for other pieces of movies, and movies <laughs> like for the next week after this after this interview. Now I'll be, I'll be like, hey, that's a mystery movie hiding in my horror movie. What are you, <laughs> what are you doing in there? <laughs> what are you doing in there? Has there been, uh, in your opinion, like a standout horror movie script, like in say like the past ten years? Because I feel like every like we have a, we're in kind of like a strange decade for horror. Like we just got out of like the Conjuring verse sort of. Like type of horror. It got dark paranormal. Like yeah, it got dark paranormal. Like I guess where would you say we're at now? We're at A twenty four now. Yeah, we're in A twenty four. From all I can tell, A twenty four is a Blumhouse. Yeah. Has there has there been a script that's that stood out to you recently that you thought did a really good job that maybe people don't appreciate, appreciate or know of? Recently, I mean, I haven't read outside. What what ended up happening was I stopped reading scripts because I wanted to enjoy the movie. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'll read if a friend comes to me with a script and says, hey, can you check this out? But for the most part, I mean, I can go back and because re- I would I would read movies before I would actually see them. And so mm-hmm. I'm spoiling the movie. And so the older I got, I thought, you know, what, I'm going to stop doing that. I, I kind of know how to write now. I don't I can. Smart. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Time to go. You know, I would rather go into the experience because I read I can't remember. Um, I read some of the Halloween movies before they came out. I read. uh I read uh, the remake of uh, *Fright Night* before it came out. A lot of things I wish I I, I go back and I wish oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Right. Um, but you know that's uh, as far as what would stand out. I mean, I can tell you what movies stood out to me, but uh, as far you as know, we, we said we said experience, you wanted to experience the film. Which which recent horror film was a, be- a good experience for you? So like for us, it was a quiet place. Like the whole theater was so quiet. We're <laughs> like walking in like mice. Have Have you had one of those standout experiences recently? Certainly, Get Out stands out. Get Out was one that that kind of blew my mind because it, it went in a direction I didn't know it was going to go, and that rarely happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quiet Place is a great example because, I mean, tr- pull that off. I mean, write a script that's that short and has so little dialogue. There's you know, there's no exposition, so to speak. Um, what else stands out? I mean, I can go back. Certainly, um, you know, c- certainly the movies that. You know, I, I think about the movies that made me what I am. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's movies that still to this day impact. It's Jaws. Jaws, you know, everything about Jaws, it's still, you know, if I, if I go into the ocean, I think about it. It's it's this fleeting little thought in the back of my head. If I get in a pool sometimes and it's dark, I think about it. <laughs> it, it had that kind of impact. And so, uh, you know, when I look back at the movies that impacted me the most, which, which maybe certainly star wars is one of those but outside of that star wars world mm-hmm. there's not a lot of movies that sort of made me who i am alien aliens terminator those movies you know they had an impact and terminator is a monster movie definitely and it's really? a really good one De- yeah definitely I, I that's the that's the weird thing is because you get that a lot when you're online talking about horror. You get that dumb, this isn't horror thing yeah. all the time. It drives us crazy. That's part of why we made the concept of this podcast broad, because there, there's a lot of dark theme things that we wanted to be able to talk about that, quote-unquote, may not be considered horror, like a seven or whatever. But, you, I mean... <laughs> It, what, what horror fan wouldn't like pieces of Jaws or Seven? That doesn't make any sense. There's no world where that should be. Who doesn't want to claim the Terminator? <laughs> <laughs> Dorks, <laughs> bring it over. <laughs> exactly. And and he was actually terrifying. That character was terrifying at the time. Terminator, the original, was so relentless 
that you didn't really experience something like that, you know, at the time. It took people by surprise. Robocop isn't, is, you know, it, it, it had humor, so it was, it didn't feel like kind of that relentless. But also, but Robocop 2 has got a horrific. But to the Terminator thing, when Uber Jason comes out, he's shredded, and I guarantee half of the people who saw the movie thought of, like, the Terminator. Like, he right. looks like he's metal, and he's going to fuck you up. <laughs> <laughs> right. well, that's totally true. Yeah, so Terminator, we're, we're going to scoot it over into horror for everyone. We're making the executive decision. So we just did a uh, an episode on what were the best character introductions in, in the history of horror, right? And one of one of the ones that I picked was Quince. I just love the way Quince is brought onto screen with the sound of uh, his, the fingernails, yeah. and then he's kind of the person who knows. As as a writer, like how much thought goes into the first time a character appears, or does it not work that way because there's so many changes and so oh, many? Oh, it's it's huge. I mean, it's it's everything because there's two reasons for doing it. One is creatively, and the other is selfishly. Because you know, as you're, as a writer, an actor is going to get this script, and that actor is just going to flip to his or her part, and they're just going to see how does this make me look. And so, when you've got William Fickner coming across a, a a bridge at sort of materializing like High Plains Drifter, that that is an introduction that that you know. And then the next thing he does is he's talking to some guy, and he's like, "Hey, fat fuck." And so everything about him, <laughs> from dialogue to his his visual, it's important. So it's important to both the story and to you know, to the actor. And so it's it's a part of every moment. And for me, as far as a writer, it's every character that you meet. It's uh, everybody I've ever written. That's really interesting. I didn't think about the angle of, your, you know, you're shopping these out and the actors are, are reacting to it. It's also weird that High Plains Drifter has come up twice in a row. That is crazy. We, that was our last, it came up our last, <laughs> last week's episode too. I, I love that movie. It's one of my favorite westerns of all time and I've, I've been obsessed with it for a long time. And, I, you know, just, I, not just the character introductions, but, you know, as a horror fan, westerns, they have that really stark, bare atmosphere and sometimes you're in a mood for that, whatever. But High Plains Drifter was like, it like it ha it was like refracted through hammer vision some of the times, right? Like it was just so unique. What a unique feeling movie. Yeah, it was uh, everything about it. As a as having grown up watching the westerns, you go to that, and there's you know there's there's a reason John Wayne didn't like the movie because it it broke all of those western rules. Right. And uh, when I got out to L.A., there was a guy named Dean Reisner who wrote High Plains Drifter, Dirty Harry. He wrote a bunch of those those movies from that genre. And I remember him talking about it and how it was, you know, because he ended up writing Play Misty for me, which was Eastwood's first direct directorial debut. Yeah. So, you know, there was a there was a level of changing the rules that was going on at that time period. It was the cop who was the vigilante. It was, you know, High Plains Drifter was the, the cowboy with the white hat who really didn't deserve to wear a white hat. I mean, everything about it was was changing the genre, which I use every day when it comes to what I'm doing now, because I don't want to do just the same thing over and over. I want to take the character and stick him in space. Well, and also it, it was it was, you know, the kind of the the medium culmination of this was probably unforgiven, but you started the movie started to make the audience complicit in it. Sopranos did the same thing, where you're because Clint Eastwood's character is on a revenge, you know, thing in High Plains Drifter. 
So you're sort of rooting for him to do it, but then the fact that you're rooting for him makes you sort of an awful human being. <laughs> that you're so it's more complicated. It was way simpler when you were rooting for you know John Wayne heroic shots. There was you know there was no reason not to root for him in a lot of the movies he was doing. But High Plains Drifter, you rooted for him, and then afterwards you were like, "Is anyone going to find out I was rooting for him? <laughs> like, this is not this is not good for me, right?" And that kind of, that was that's, that's a really cool thing. thing. I love that you use that now. Yeah. I mean that was that was the that was one of the main movies that that we used for for uh, Drive Angry. It was the idea of both not just Cage coming, but but also the accountant showing up into a world that they no longer belong to. No wonder I love Drive Angry. It's all and <laughs> uh... I didn't detect that at all when I was watching it. I'm like, I love this movie. What? And now I'm, oh man, what other movies went into Drive Angry? It's probably a bit more. <laughs> other should I love? Yeah. <laughs> all of the old road, road movies um you think of the old 1970s exploitation road movies um so, so like vanishing point and stuff like that or or yeah, all of that stuff we yeah. we watched you know constantly just to i mean you think you think about an rv running down down the road being chased by devil worshipers i mean come on <laughs> That was clearly an influence. <laughs> That's a great point. I, it's true. I didn't even think of that. Very true. You know, there was a subgenre of movie that I'm I I, va- I have this vaguest memory of, and the the one that first comes to mind to me was Hooper, but it was also a lot of evil can evil stuff. There was like a stunt person kind of movie, mm-hmm. like really small genre. But I remember like those really gritty car scenes from that kind of. Those look really dangerous. They were. He's like they were. He's like they were. He's lost a lot of friends. <laughs> so yeah, but that there's a grit to that, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of modern movies, when they even when they try to duplicate it. It doesn't, it doesn't come off, off like that, that to me, but Drive Angry had it, which is one of the things I really appreciated. I mean, we certainly wrote it with that in mind. We we wrote it to be, you know, to be sort of a love letter to those old, you know, road movies. And we had been thinking, you know, what's what's something we can do in 3D that we haven't seen yet? And so a car movie seemed to be a thing. But uh, it, uh, I think a part of that grittiness comes from the fact that we went into this thinking we had a lot more money than we had. And so we hit the ground running and then, you know, the, the, the trailer that carries the car shows up and it was built in 1950. And so everything about it was us trying to figure out to, how to get around the money that we didn't have. Right. And uh, there's certainly one scene that takes place in a church. A week and a half before that scene, it took place outside on, on it was a car wreck that they, they drive up on. And then suddenly everybody involved in the car wreck has guns. We were going to have rain day. And we didn't have an, in the budget, you know, the time to to do something else. We had to shoot that day, so we put everything into a church, and it was just literally, it was just a mad scramble. And what I loved about Drive Angry is we didn't have the money to throw at it any problem. We had to just outthink our way through it. So we found this old church that was already sinking in the mud, and <laughs> it did. It rained the whole time, but everybody was inside the church, and so all of that was, I mean, it was rewritten just so that it would. And it, by the way, I think it plays better now because it's in a uh, Yeah. I can't imagine another way. That's so weird that That's it was awesome. a whole other thing before. Like, because I love those epic scenes. That's the very first thing that comes to my mind when I think of Kill Bill is those mm-hmm. like church confrontation, you know, moments. And that I, 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 I'm so glad it went that way. 
I was rooting for you to have more money, but now I'm like, I'm glad you were. <laughs> I'm glad they. <laughs> I'll always remember, and every movie you pick up something that you forget about. Like you'll write, you'll write lines as a, as a writer, and then you kind of expect that they're going to change, that the actor will come in and change them. Because I certainly have done it to myself. And I remember Billy Burke came in who who played, you know, Bella's father in the Twilight movies. Mm-hmm. He comes in and he walks in and I had written a lot of slang into the movie, a lot of, of accent. And he, he was one of those guys who would come in and completely take your dialogue and make it his own, but with his own sort of cadence. He's like, Milton, isn't it? And I spelt in it, I in, I spelt in it. Sure. He said it the same way, Milton, isn't it? And I was just like, that's fun. Really a lot of people won't do that. It comes Milton, isn't it? Just <laughs> <laughs> crushing it. <laughs> He'll do it with a crisp English. Hit, hit every consonant. That's no. That's no good. <laughs> what? What? What is a? Um, what's a great change to uh, to something that besides this one, where someone an actor came in and took dialogue and changed it, and you were like, "Wow, that's really I never expected that." Is there another example of when that happened? Because I love looking for those in movies. Um, certainly, I mean, Cage did that with everything. Cage was one of those guys who would walk in and he would give you what was written on the page and then he would go, Cage. <laughs> right. There was, a, there was a scene where he's standing, he's standing next to a barrel of fire. And the, I forget the exact dialogue, but it was something like, Look, the fire is not the hard part of going. He's not saying go to hell, but he's fire is not the worst part. The worst part is you're watching your loved ones suffer, and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. And you know, he's like, I watched this cult kill my daughter and take her child. That's not exactly what he said. <laughs> he said, I watched him take my daughter, rip her head off, with a butter knife. <laughs> a little different. So it doesn't make it to the movie. <laughs> right, 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 right. I mean, there's just moments where you. I just saw this amazing clip of um, Sam Elliott talking about reminiscing about his movies, and they asked him about playing the the dude, uh, the playing the 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 narrator in Big Lebowski, and he goes. Um, he goes, you know, I, I sat down in that last, it was the last day of the movie and I'm, I'm talking to the camera and I'm saying like my lines or whatever. And I, I, I did it like eight, nine times. And then finally I turned to the Coen brothers and I'm thinking to myself, I, I fucking nailed this like three times. <laughs> it's like, he turned to me, he's like, yeah, tell me what you fucking want here because I, I really feel like I'm nailing it. They're like, oh yeah, you got it the second take. We just love watching you do it. <laughs> Which is just... <laughs> Which is just great. Like, what? You know, I would do the same thing with Nicholas Cage. I would just be like, just go. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's interesting because every actor is different. And, and I've seen this from the very beginning. It's uh, especially actors who've been doing it for a while. So it's not like, oh, I'm in a movie and they're just doing their thing for the first time. You know, you, you saw it with Cage. Cage would come in, he'd, he would do his lines, and then he was ready to go home. Like, he would do a take, and then, okay, can we go? It wasn't like that, but he would stay and do more. But you could tell there was a, I just nailed that. So when you're ready, I'm going to leave. Not, not in a bad way, but he sure, no. very professional. He came, he delivered what he was meant to deliver. Yeah. Then you had somebody like Billy, who Billy would, would come in and read the line that was written in the way that he that fit for him. 
And then he would tweak it just the tiniest bit each time, looking for the perfect delivery for him. And then you had Bill Fickner, who would still be there today shooting <laughs> over and over, and he'll try this and he'll try that. <laughs> who's a, who's an actor? Who's an actor you have yet to work with? Like you really, really want to get in a movie? Like what's a what's someone you you really admire that? I mean, that's that's almost a sad thing because as you're writing, you always have somebody in your head. Of course. Like I can, off the top of my head, I, I, we wrote something for Clancy Brown. I've never worked with Clancy Brown, but how would you not want to write with a Kurgan? Right. So, you know, there's, there's, there's people like that all along the way. Um, we wrote, uh, Dean Laurie and I wrote this thing with uh, Clint Eastwood in mind ages ago, ages. There's no way he would do it now, but... There's no way he did it then. <laughs> but, you know, but a, a thriller horror with with Clint, East, Clint Eastwood as as the lead that just would have been amazing. Uh, I wrote oh, something. Oh, so sad that that never happened. <laughs> I wrote a horror with Jodie Foster in mind. I wrote, uh, you know, so it happens all the time. You you write for a certain actor. Doesn't have to doesn't have to be that, but you sort of envision who this person would be and how they would deliver the the story you're trying to deliver. So. It's always, and then, and then some of them pass away and you're like, damn, I'll never get the chance to like, we, we did a, we, uh, Patrick and I worked on a remake for uh, The Exorcist and we, the plan was to bring Max Vaughn back in to play the age that he played way back then. Sure. And you know, it just never happened and now he's gone. So I mean, was, you know, what can you do? Yeah. But, uh, like uh, JT Walsh, remember him? Yeah. Phenomenal actor. I would have loved to write something for him. So, um, yeah, I got a whole list of actors. <laughs> well, I, you know, you hear writers say that, but it, it makes so much sense. So what, what is it even like writing? So is this, what's the writing process? Is it, are you alone? Are you, do you change it up and you write out? Is, do you have a writing spotlight? How does this work for a writer? What, what, what do you, how do you approach it? I mean, it, it's changed over the years. In the beginning, I would marathon write would mm -hmm. walk around and it would stew in my head and then i would sit down and write the whole thing and however long it takes um i could write a script in a week but that didn't mean i necessarily wrote it in a week i wrote it in my head and then i'm just spitting it out on paper that changed when i had a child because suddenly you know the baby crawls in the room and you're like oh i'd rather be doing this and so you <laughs> so that led me to getting an office so that i could go away from the house and write and uh and then i built this silly shed and it's got a desk where I can stand and so I, I kind of prefer writing while I'm standing so I end up yeah. working with my tools but uh, I mean I, I can I can still write whenever it doesn't it doesn't matter it's like something can interrupt me that didn't used to be the case when you say you'd interrupt me I couldn't get back into it but now you know I think it comes with age you just you know you got to get it done and so I can write wherever and whenever right and the 10,000 hour things I mean once you do it enough times <laughs> you can like be writing in the middle of a concert like you know everyone else is cheering you're you're writing away yeah and I mean I've written I never liked the Starbucks idea I can do it but I never mm -hmm. liked that it felt like that was more about me you know I would walk in and everybody would look up to see who I was and then go back to writing um but I can certainly write anywhere but it's uh it's always been, um, I mean, it's just the idea that I get to write every day and, and get mm -hmm. paid for it. Now, granted, there's been a year or two that were bad, but for the most part, you know, I've always paid my bills with being a writer, and a lot of people can't say that. So I am blessed, and I am lucky. 
No, no that's, that's I mean that's, that's so cool. cool. It's it's really amazing because the writers, you know, that was we, we had a we had a side project that we worked on for a bit where we were doing not horror movies and one of the we we ended up doing Robert Altman's The Player, and I'll never forget that kind of scene where they just toss the writers away basically the 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 studio exec is is like we don't even need writers let's just create a headline from the paper he's like a union protest thing is like it's right there we got a story who needs it? and they're so writers are so undervalued but it's it's you can't i mean they bring so much of what is happening in the movie that's no other force can bring it to that and to, I, I don't know the fact that you've been able to do it and, and always stick to it is just an amazing accomplishment to me. Well, thank you. It's uh, it, it's had its ups and downs. <laughs> I'm, I'm, j- j- the fact that I started that that little mini rant with the word devalue was, was a bad sign for the, the rosy sailing of the whole process. I'm sure. I mean, I have no regrets. I mean, there's. I don't think I'm very good. And I grew up in construction, and since you know, since we all been on lockdown, I've done 14 years worth of home improvement in the last. <laughs> <laughs> so I can actually still do construction. I didn't know that, but uh, for the most part, I would rather I would just rather be writing, rather be telling stories. I mean, going back to when I was a kid, I was the one around the campfire telling the stories. So right. that's all I ever wanted to do. I never thought about being rich. I just thought about making enough that I can keep doing it. Right. And right. Well, yeah, because a lot of people get bounced out and they don't get to do it. And that's, yeah, that's, that's incredible. What, what is it like in this time for a, a person involved in, in filmmaking and kind of this process? The pandemic is such a weird moment. Um, so, like, first of all, there's got to be a lot of logistical changes and things that are happening. And then also horror is really good at reflecting what's happening in society. So is that starting to feed into what you're doing or what? the people around you are thinking about working on or is that do, do we need more time lag before that kind of comes in i mean i think i think it's i think you can't i think you can't ignore what's happening right now i think it is a part it's certainly a part it's certainly a part with production mm-hmm. I, i'm you know i'm listening to friends and, and and you know my fiance is leaving to go do a show and the the prep that they're having to do and the the lockdown once they get there to wait for 10 to 10 days to a week everything changes you know the way you shoot changes you wouldn't shoot you two that close together anymore you couldn't do it you have to you have to separate at least right now and um i mean all of that changes the uh scripts that you know seven months ago were supposed to be going forward right now are not going forward right now for a couple of reasons one because of the lockdown two because as they are written you simply can't shoot them now you can't. Mm. I, I wrote. I uh, I wrote a rock biopic, which was tremendous fun. But this was a band that was predominantly a, a stage band. They were, you know, big concerts. How do you shoot that? And right. how do you get that many people in a crowd cheering? Even if it's even if you fake it and you just have the first two or three rows, how do you do that? So mm-hmm. everything changes in in today's world. Horror and independent film is probably in a great in great shape right now because they've always been small crews. They've always tried to keep the budget down so it's not, you know, big, big explosions and big this and big that. So I feel like if you're in the indie world, you you have a better chance right now than you ever have. Just be smart about it. That's so interesting. Well, plus, and like you were saying, you have the muscle, 
the muscles built up of problem solving around obstacles and budget constraints and that that plays out now where you're mm -hmm. like you know other people don't know how to get around it's the thing i used to joke about like I, one of the reasons i appreciated you know old music like a uh, robert johnson blues singer who's one of my favorites right he this guy could just roll out into a crossroads in the middle of an intersection in the middle of a town pull out a guitar and entertain the shit out of a big group of people but you get modern performers like a k-pop band can't go out in the middle of the intersection unplugged and like entertain people right like yeah. they need the support of a bunch of other stuff and i feel like indie horror could just, just get out in the, the center, center of town and just start entertaining yeah and there's no better time for it it's uh I mean, it's, and I, I see friends who are doing it. And, and I think because the thing that we tend to forget is everybody needs content and they're running out. Yeah. So I can't go out, I can't go out and shoot a big biopic, but I can go shoot a, you know, a, a, a smart character driven thriller or horror. Like Host. Yeah, that's Host such a good point. point. That's really, I, I remember, I was, I remember thinking, um, so one of my, one of my touchstone horror films is Night of the Comet. I don't know if you've seen this movie, but I love this movie, right? And those desolate downtown LA shots and all that stuff. Well, we're in LA and it just looks like that all the time now, <laughs> right? Minus the red comet dust and, you know, empty clothes on the ground. But but I feel like the world looks kind of like what I was growing up with with indie horror more now than it ever did, which is it's a really fascinating kind of like you know juxtaposition there's got to be weird opportunities that are cropping up now yeah no. well we um i had a uh, i have a thing at netflix and um the uh it's based on a comic book that fj DeSanto and i wrote and uh the latest draft came in and that draft there was always sort of a a virus element to it but that virus has been altered to sort of more mimic what we're going through now which mm. i like that it's not hey this is covid but it's it's something that you, you watch it and it's not in your face it's very subtle and in the background but it's certainly so it, it it shows what we're going through today which is basically what we as writers tend to do we just take the crap that's happened to us and hope that it relates to you and that if it's happened to you and if it hasn't it's something you can sidestep because you've learned from our mistakes that's really interesting. True. Well, I know how to sidestep killer androids in space now. So you, you dirty me. rat, <laughs> you've armed me for in case that ever crops up in my life. <laughs> well, we were talking before we recorded, and it hit me that the last movie that I had intentions of going to go see was a midnight screening of Jason X at the Secret Cinema. Uh, uh, here in LA, and because um, we had just caught Invisible Man, and then I think the next week you were going to see that. Or yeah, we were going to go. We were going to go see that. Yep. So I need to go. I need. I mean, we need this to happen. So everyone just start <laughs> put on the goddamn mask. Exactly. Everyone so long since I've been to the movie theater. <laughs> right. I, I need to go there because I've only ever seen it on the DVD. Oh, you've never seen Big. I've screen. never seen it on the big uh, screen. Oh yeah. No. Yeah, I know that. And you were this close. God damn it. This. This. <laughs> This is very close. I saw it on the big screen at Universal, huge theater, with about three people. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, I'll tell you this. When we, went, when we went to the Secret Cinema, because we went there to go see, uh, what did we see there? It was an older movie. Life Force. Life Force. Life Force. Life Force. Yeah. They played the trailer for Jason X, and the whole fucking place lit up. 
And I was like, yeah. it was the first time I was able to go, my people. <laughs> <laughs> like in a theater, you survived. Did you get was names it? and numbers? <laughs> no. Oh. Next time, now we know. <laughs> we'll get them in the Facebook group. Yeah, next time we will. Because we, we, we had seen Jason Lives in, yes. in a theater that was similar to that. And yes. I was really excited to see... Well, our Jason Lives screening, screening had a had a, a, a mishap. You would have been disappointed with yes, this Jason. Yeah, your Jason was better than the Jason we encountered. They had this big guy with the pole, like looking like Jason beginning the film, and he goes, walks up on stage, and then misses and just eats concrete. <laughs> and everyone's like, so we was, saw Jason get up. There he was. <laughs> Kane Hodder would have been pissed. Yeah, Kane would have been so upset. <laughs> 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 we saw Jason get up and do slapsticks. And he slapsticks up <laughs> inadvertently. But no, this I mean this, this is, is wonderful. A, this has been amazing. I, I we really appreciate you taking the time because one of the things that that was really key to me for you know what one of the things that Halloween Weekly was trying to do is was was show people that horror has all these different variations and the fact that like jason x is one thing and valentine's another thing and drive angry i i can't imagine a horror fan not enjoying that movie like, right it just doesn't make any sense because it's it's so gonzo and a lot of that dna of what you're talking about about the old robe movies and the grindhouse and the exploitation and all that is such an overlap with what horror is right that that i mean it was it's just been such an amazing thing to talk to you and, and kind of hear the stories of what it was like to make this stuff it's kind of wild. Like, if I could time travel, I'd be like, "You're Nick." The interview went great. <laughs> you had a great time. <laughs> you were gonna time travel, anyway. yeah. If I time travel, that's what I would do. I would, <laughs> I would do this. You're gonna time travel and tell young Nick that you're gonna meet the person who wrote this, the movie that got you into horror. Like, are you kidding? Me? That is true. In fact, because of that DVD, I remember the next day people started quizzing me because the special features had the Freddy versus Jason, even a little Leatherface in there. And I remember kids the next day would quiz me on horror movies, and I knew every fucking answer to them. I was like, oh, the guy with the knives? That's Freddy Krueger. So, like, I went in there like a fucking horror whiz, like, day, like in one day. <laughs> You're like a horror professor. Yeah, I was a professor of horror at Schaefer Middle School. <laughs> from, this, from this one thing. Um, I, personally, I personally love that the movie that, that got me hated got you loved. Yeah. It is. I, I, we fought for it. We, in fact, we did an episode probably two months ago, three months ago, called You Watched Jason X Wrong. And then we just go in, we just fucking fight for it. Like, <laughs> it was literally an hour of us just like, you people are idiots. <laughs> like, like, that was the thing was, was and there's this great moment, there's a guy I like, um, I, I, I don't know what his real name is, but he calls himself Sin of a Snob. He's on YouTube and he's playing a character. So he's he's like, whatever. But there's this moment in the in when he's going through Jason X where he cuts back and he goes, he shows the scene. I love. I can't do justice to it. It's amazing. But he he shows a clip of Pamela Voorhees, and he's like, "Remember when Pamela Voorhees that wrenching speech about like losing her son and being delayed?" He's like, and then it cuts to Jason X. He's like, "Oh yeah, ninja android against zombie Jason bitch." <laughs> he's, like, he's like, "Forget that." He's like, "This is amazing." <laughs> you just can't lose with that concept. It's a win-win. Absolutely amazing. It's a win-win. <laughs> Do you, is there anything you you want uh, people to check out that's currently out or coming up? Anything we should throw into this episode uh, uh, before, before we end? No, nah, just tell them to wear a mask and vote. We're a thousand percent with you. It's wear a mask and vote and get Nick back into a theater so he can enjoy exactly <laughs> first one. I'm, t I'm actually I'm going to email the cinema, secret cinema club. Be like that better be the first. Have you done the the drive-ins yet? 
Not yet. I don't think there's been... We haven't actually looked up which ones are close. So we have a friend who's in the business, and he's a dear friend. He's been on the podcast. He just sent me a... Um, I don't even know what those things are called from the chairs, but something from Paul Schrader. I love this guy, but he he has somehow been to every drive-in that exists. Yeah, the, I don't know how he's doing it in the last month he while like, working on movies. He's right. like swab. He's like the swabbing people's noses and then like heading up all the drive-ins. Yeah, he's a it's absolutely guy. amazing. But I've been tracking him to be like, where are the good drive-ins? <laughs> Go check these out. <laughs> are, is there a drive-in you can recommend? Have you been to? What's... No, I haven't. I keep I keep me- meaning to do it, but at the time when everybody started going back to drive-ins. Like I did nothing but you know build crap around here in the yard, and right. then when suddenly everybody started going to drive-ins, I was like, "This is a great idea." And then I, I got busy, so I've oh. been writing nonstop for a month and a half. Well, that's a good reason. Yeah, that's, well, <laughs> that's a good reason to do whatever. But but I'm excited to go have the drive-in experience because they. It's been a long time. You know what's funny? I think the last movie I saw in the drive-in, Lost in Space. <laughs> go figure. You just came full circle. Aiding <laughs> so, so. the, the enemies and <laughs> all right, wear a mask, go to a drive-in, reappreciate Jason X. <laughs> That's the good. Live a good, good life. Place. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate. It. Wonderful, Wonderful to meet, meet you. you. Stay, Stay safe, safe over there, there and keep writing. writing uh, keep being amazing. amazing. All right, you guys take care. Take, take care. care. Bye. Bye.